to another episode of a multimedia live production called The Numbers Don't Lie. Um, it's really just supporting our efforts within the TSO Blackstar newsroom to uh, bring a, a little more space around data journalism and what we can do with it and what sort of questions and answers we can we can, uh, we can can get from that. We're sitting again with uh, Paul Berkowitz, the edit, the director of um, Edges, and we've also joined by uh, Lucanio Mnyana, the editor of Business Day. Um, and today we're going to be talking about the IFP, especially in the northern KZN in the run-up to the elections. Um, if you look at the IFP since 1994, um, you know, they had, what, 10.5% of the electoral vote, and now in 2014, they brought it down to about 2.4%. Um, that equates to, you know, from 43 seats in Parliament down to 10. Um, and also just recently, in the last couple of years, they've also lost some wards to the ANC. Um, uh, what, Paul, I mean, what do these numbers mean? What are, the, what are these, what, 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 what can we expect? I mean, into the 2019 uh, general elections. So, Scott, if you look at the trend, as you said, every national provincial election since '94, the IFPs lost a couple of percentage points. They went from 10 and then 8 and 6 and so forth. But something interesting happened in 2011. That was at the municipal elections, and it and it if it affected the 2014 national provincial elections, and that was that there was an offshoot from the IFP, um, and it was called the National Freedom Party, the NFP. It was started by Mangasutu Butelezi, second in command, a lady by the name of Zanele Kamagwazimsibi, and she was second in command. She was, in in some respects, she was the anointed successor of Butelezi. But he decided to stay on in 2011 after the IFP continued to do badly in the 2009 national provincial elections. And she left and she formed the party and she took a lot of support from the IFP. And what's interesting to me about the IFP in comparison to other parties that are smaller than the big three, than the ANC, DA and the EFF, if you compare the IFP to the Freedom Front Plus or to the ACDP, the other parties tend to get a little bit of support in a bigger geographical area. You know, there'll be pockets of support for the African Christian Democratic Party or the Freedom Front Plus across a majority of provinces. But the IFP support is very concentrated geographically. It's, at the moment anyway, maybe in closer to 94, it had more support in Gauteng and it had a provincial seat. But for the last couple of rounds of elections, it's been 95% of its support is in quite a small geographical area in the northern half of KZN. And so it's very interesting because there's all sorts of identity issues around culture, around language, around background. Um, the IFP has, like many parties in South Africa that aren't big parties, th there is an, there's a, a strong element of identity, um, a constructed identity, as I said, whether it's language or culture um, or history or geography. And the NFP pretty much took votes and support, um, structures, people, mayors, councillors from the IFP. And I guess the question to be asked is, is what happened in the 2014 national provincial elections with the 
the IFP declined from about four and a half, what they that was their national share in 2009, down to about two and a half. Is that a continuation of a longer term trend, or had the IFP found its base and its bottom, and it was just almost like a business unusual that the NFP was formed? And where, what what are the implications for the IFP in the upcoming elections? Um, I don't know, Lukani, if you can maybe uh, jump in here. What would you suggest would be the influence of the IFP in Parliament these days? You know, like the, Paul, it's interesting what you say about the geographic sort of concentration. I didn't actually realize it was such a concentration even within KZN. I mean, I mean the IFP has always been traditionally been, I mean, you have a lot of one-party issues. The IFP has always been an ethnic Party issue. I mean, like in the old days, Mutelezi made a whole big role about his, and about how they appropriated sort of Zulu culture and Zulu history. So it was always in like a concentration in that in that sense was not really a, a surprise. Yes. But what but it's surprised when you when you say to me is even within a certain part of KZN or not, not even the whole of KZN. I would have actually thought as well they would do better in like in the Transkai. I mean, sorry, in the Transkai in in in, in Houteng, where maybe like where you got a, a Zulu community from. And uh, Scott, I'm not sure if I've answered your question. <laughs> In terms of the influence in Parliament, I mean, it's, it's been waning, hasn't it? I mean, from from the, I mean, you, you, if you take back from, I don't know how far you go back from the first election, um, government of national unity, Mangosuti Butel is in government. I mean, he was actually acting president at some point in an infamous episode. Yeah. But it definitely has not been such a major source anymore. I mean, I think people think of the Prince Butelis now, it's almost like a historical curiosity. I don't think we actually turn the TV news and see what is he going to say, like, as, we, as we used to in the old days. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, that's essentially what I'm asking. I mean, with these with the numbers that we can see, the, the declining trend, and also, you know, with the leader like uh, Butelis, who's, you know, he's been the leader of that party for most of my life, um, who he's due to step down after these elections. At least that's what um, that's what he's saying. Um, should South Africa one does the party survive after after he steps down? Is there is there is there any real sort of political clout there from from an ideological perspective or from a from a municipal perspective? And uh, should South Africa really care? I mean, they've obviously they've got a very good they've a high significance in the country's history. But um, today, given given the high localization of of their support. You know what? What? What can we expect, really? Oh, I don't know. Paul, we might have enough since you know all the data. But I was. I mean, it's quite interesting in terms of. I mean, because they've always been a country that has. I mean, a part has been about culture, about ethnicity. I mean, you think the country now has sort of moved on. I mean, I can't. I think Paul explains why, for example, why even smaller parties like Freedom Front Plus, or I mean, even though that's also like a cultural place, but I suppose that's people across the country as opposed to people in one region, which is, I mean, like a sort of legacy of the apartheid system, I suppose. But, you know, ACDP, I mean, that's like an issue, like we have small pockets of everywhere, whereas like with the IFP, like I mean, it's hard to actually see it having a culture, a, a future in a sort of like multiracial, yeah. like not in, in, in increasingly integrated society where you now, you know, I suppose, Paul. The question from your side. I mean, given given the numbers that uh, that we're looking at, um, I know you don't like to make predictions because you don't like to be wrong. Oh, I but, like uh, to <laughs> that's the byline. But right? I mean, what what really can we from a at least a probabilistic um, perspective on your side with these numbers. I mean, would you say? I mean, clearly the trend is decreasing. But then you, in in your story, you do you do mention that that they have been making some gains. Um, yeah. How can you support that? Okay. So if we look at the numbers, 
in 2009, I think the IFP had just over 4% of the national vote. And then, no, they had about 4.5%. And then they lost about 2% and they went down to 2.5%. But most of those losses were the NFP's gains. The NFP came from nowhere, from 0 to 1.6. And the IFP lost eight seats. They went, I think, from 18 in 2009 to just 10 in 20, yes, to 10 in 2014. So the eight they lost, the NFP picked up six. Now, the NFP, even after its initial success in 2011, didn't maintain that kind of presence in municipal by-elections. The the party actually lost a few to the IFP, and the IFP gained some ground. And especially since 2014, since those national provincial elections, the party's kind of been chasing its own tail. Maguazim Sibi herself had some serious health issues. I think she had a stroke and she uh, wasn't present in parliament and she wasn't leading the party. And I think, ironically, the same issues that the IFP faced, that there was no succession plans or no young blood and exciting new ideas beyond, as Lucanio says, um, maybe narrow cultural or ethnic concerns, the party didn't really grow. The party, I think, contested one municipality in 2016. They didn't even pay their deposit in time to the IC. And they've contested by-elections since then, but there hasn't been a presence. Now the party says that they're relaunching themselves. In a static world, if the NFP disappeared, you might assume that a lot of the ground that the NFP had won from the IFP might just go back to the IFP, especially since the ANC itself in KZN is maybe not as strong as it was in the Zuma years, and there is factionalism there. I want to just add one thing to what Lucanio said, which is very interesting. The parties I talked about, the smaller ones, were ones which were defined by identity issues, but not geographical identity issues. And of course, there are other examples of parties which are maybe closer in form and type to the IFP, like the United Christian Democratic Party, which um, appealed to mainly Tswana-speaking people in the Northwest, and that's declined. Or a party like the UDM, which traditionally its base has been in the Eastern Cape and it has appealed to Kaza speakers. And and the, the UDM itself has declined in provincially and nationally. So, you know, there's small parties and there's small parties and there's, and there's identitarian and, um, and cultural issues and, and different points of contact, and some of them differ. So in that way, maybe the IFP isn't that different in type or form from the UCDP or the UDM, but it just started out bigger. And maybe it's, it's still got a bigger base that exists. Any comments there? So, Paul, I suppose, like, if I could ask a question, is, is, is there any prospect of this camp, of this, of this, of these, like, sort of parties reinventing themselves? I mean, for example, the, the Saints, something like the UDM, I mean, its leader, General Olomisa, has been quite high profile in terms of broader issues, I mean, in yeah. terms of the, the you know, corruption in the PIC. Yeah. And it's never really struck me as, like, as, as an ethnic based politician the same way Mangosotu Buterizi was. Yes. And, 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 and the party's been around for, like, 20 years, but the same, somehow, seemingly not able to break out of that mold. Or, well, what, 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 what could you attribute to that? Because it's not like people in the Eastern Cape necessarily are voting on ethnic grounds, otherwise they, they, they will be voting for the ANC, I suppose. Right. <laughs> and that's a very good point, Lukanyo. And, and I don't want to make too much and, you know, say that... Uh, I mean, as South Africans, we're smarter than just narrow issues. I think maybe it's... 
if you were someone from outside the e, the Eastern Cape, for example, if you speak about the UDM, maybe the perception, and maybe I'm projecting, maybe these are my prejudices, is what what does the party hold for me if I'm not from the Eastern Cape or I'm not part of a traditional base? So maybe maybe these parties could do more, could have done more to to branch out. And the point about uh, General Holomis is is well taken. He's he's a parliamentarian. He's, he's had presence. Um, someone like uh, Temba Godi, who heads up the African, um, the APC. Sorry, my brain's not working. I forgot for a second what the letters stand for. But, you know, he he is known not just for being the head of the APC, which at the moment, unfortunately, is a one-man show, but he was um, very instrumental, I think, in earlier years in Scopa and in, in um, being a very important voice in the legislation. I don't know. Maybe it's... Maybe it's um, uh, strategic voting on the part of South African voters. Maybe it's pragmatism or, or, or fear or things like negative partisanship that people are attracted to slightly bigger parties because they think they'll get give them more bang for buck for their vote. Maybe I think that the smaller parties that we mentioned, they do have a case to answer for, to that the, they should have done more to build the constituency and done constituency work in between elections and when they're not in parliament. I think the EFF has done that well. They've, they've looked for a lot of opportunities to build the base outside of where they started, which is Limpopo and Gauteng. So here's a sort of bringing back to data a little bit. So when you're talking about the constituency and you're wondering about the identity of the IFP and whether they do have some sort of a br- something broader to, to to add to the country, what what can we know about the, the supporters of the IFP? I mean, what data do you have available? For example, do we know? I mean, outside of the, we would know like where they are based on based on what you've produced. Here, we kind of may have a sense of their age, but do we know? Do we know other sort of demographic type information in terms of employments or education levels or like? Or you know race groups or languages and so forth. I mean, we well we kind of we can surmise that as well. Being the IFP, we know, but um, but you you know what I'm asking you. Like what 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 data do you have available really to, to determine the value of this constituency or where they are, how they could grow, or how they could uh, influence uh, uh, politics on a national level? So, I think. As you said, we, we could infer a lot because we've got the census data and because the party support is so geographically concentrated. And uh, again, an early point Lucanio made, there is some support in the south. Um, in, in one or two of the municipalities, I think in the Ugu district, literally on the border with the Eastern Cape. But if you look at the map, it's just it's chalk and cheese compared to that everything Newcastle and north. But you look at those areas, those areas are largely rural in terms of service delivery and um, infrastructure development and economic development, relatively underdeveloped compared to, I guess, the urban centers of Durban and Peter Maritzburg in, in Etequini and in Umsunduzi. Um, some other stuff which is maybe a bit more educated guesswork and, and we look at, let's say, other demographic and migratory patterns, the party support is more likely to be older um, in age than maybe the ANC support. That with, with increased urbanization from 94, with people moving from the villages to, to Durban and to Peter Maritzburg, maybe to Stanga, it was more likely to be younger people. And the ANC grew its support, especially in urban areas in KZN, while um, the IFP declined. So you're probably looking at uh, what's left of a very loyal base, but much smaller 
probably older than um, the voting average, um, socially more conservative, living in areas probably where um, economic development, opportunity, service delivery is uh, a bit... It's probably stable, but not um, improving much compared to, to Durban. And, yeah, I think that's symptom and cause. That's part of the problem. If the party hasn't broken out of that mold, then, you know, demographically, you, you want to project where they're going. They, they're probably not going places. They're not going anywhere big. I was, I was caught, caught about well, one point you mentioned there, Paul, about, about, about the average age of the voter being like a bit above the average. <laughs> so, like, so demographics are not really in their favor on that point as well. And, yeah. and, and you also you must assume this, this much more traditional kind of like a voter base as well whereas yes. like, oh, you know, as we said before, people's attitudes are changing. People are probably like becoming the younger generations, becoming less focused on issues of identity and ethnicity. Yes. So like, so I'm trying to work out what, 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 where, where does the future hold for this party? I mean, is, 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 is it stuck where it is, or is it, are we seeing like just declining further to to the point where it becomes extinct? I would say, the, if, if I gave a broad narrative, Lukanya, I would say like a slow and steady attrition. I think. Well, two things. There are two ways to interpret what's happened over what the last couple of election cycles we've spoken about. Either the party had found its base mostly and would lose uh, support, but at a much slower rate from 2009-2014 onwards, had the NFP not been there, or the party will be extinct in two or three cycles in the next 10-15 years. I think the party will continue longer than that, okay. probably with reduced strength. But if you look at the potential, what's reasonable? If you took the whole area of the northern of northern KZN, even and and we're talking about places where the IFP has won more by-elections from the ANC and the IFP than it's lost over the last five years, so there is support. You're talking about a pool of votes in the in the second largest province in the country after Gauteng where the potential, the absolute ceiling for the party is probably 25, 30 seats. Or let's say the whole area of Northern KZN for whoever wins it or however it's distributed is probably 25, 30 seats out of 400 in the National Assembly. Now that's a lot. It's less than the IFP had in 94. They'll probably never get there again. But from their current tally of 10, the best they could hope for in uh, on May the 8th, if they recovered their losses from the NFP, and maybe there was lower turnout for ANC voters in the province and it mirrored the country, maybe they go from two and a half back up to four, maybe four and a half. I think it's unlikely. I would I'd bet that the party could get between three and four percent. They'll improve on last time, if only because the NFP is in a mess. Oh, there we go. I made a prediction. <laughs> I could be wrong. No, that's uh, that's one thing I really enjoy about using using numbers and, and and applying it to political issues in the sense that, you know, what you just what Lacanio just came up with. Uh, uh, 
following our chat was it, 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 it you can tell a better story with the numbers and also you it leads on to asking questions that you might may not n normally have asked so you wouldn't have necessarily asked those questions about oh are we seeing the death of the IP without looking at numbers or and just attending for example the manifesto launch you wouldn't necessarily have asked that question based on the turnout um, so that, that's kind of the, the stuff we really want to chat about in the weeks coming and in terms of how, how does data really change the way we look at um, the elections what can we do around it and also I've got a question in terms of I've got this thing of what kind of questions we can ask and a lot of it is, is, is dependent on the data we've got available so you look at the the ace magashule issue for example that's that's coming in the news and the the sort of the rampant uh, 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 allegations of corruption um, can we determine for example within the free state or even you know within the ANC party itself um, whether what what this effect will have can we measure that by numbers in the sense that is there some sort of electrical uh, electrical electoral electoral effect that we can see based on either how the free state votes for the ANC and and can we do, can we at least draw a dotted line to ace in that in those in those change of numbers how do we determine that or could we determine that I think there's a bit of evidence Scott so if we before we get to the election numbers if we want to say is there evidence in the numbers in the data of um, how what's gone on under ace how that's affected economic and developmental and political risk outcomes in the free state, we can. If we look at Auditor General's reports, if we look at internal treasury reports about um, the financial risk profile of free state municipalities, you can definitely see a decline of at least, especially in the last five years. If you look at the numbers, there, there are some hints. The, the one thing that stood out for me was in the 2016 elections when the ANC lost Metsi Maholo, which is a municipality just south of the Free State border. It's just you know on the banks of the Val River. So if you, and I learned that the clue is in the name, Metsi Maholo is suited for big water, which is the Val. So there we go. There's a little bit of um, linguistic and geography in the mix as well. This is an educational show. And the ANC lost a majority, in, and it was the first municipality that the party had actually lost in the province. And you know, the, there were a whole bunch of back and forth. There, there was the opposition coalition, which was the DA, the Freedom Front Plus, the Metsi Maholo Community Association, and the EFF couldn't correlate. And then the council collapsed, and there was um, a wholesale lot of by-elections in every single ward, and they redid the PL vote. In, in effect, the entire municipality went to the polls again. And what I found very interesting is that the South African Communist Party ran for the first time independently, mm. yeah, not within the alliance. They won three seats, which, if you look at the numbers, they took directly off the ANC. And the deputy mayor in the municipality is now SACP. So, and ACE's base of operations, ACE's hometown, I think, if I'm not mistaken, is just to the west, is in the municipality of Nguate, which contains the town of Paris. So that northern part of the Free State may have actually suffered fallout from ACE's maladministration and, and hurt the ANC at the polls. Any comments for you? No, it's interesting. Like, I was interested like how, I suppose we can't really know, in terms of the numbers, we can't really poll the parties themselves. Now, I mean, 
can be like, I can't know how far back I want to go. Maybe I think I must show my age. I mean, when I was a young reporter, like I think like the, the ladies who was still a six hour old, I went from the Transkei government, and then she wasn't ANC. You now she was caught up in this sort of corruption scandal, and people were saying, oh, then the ANC should get rid of her. And then people were like, oh no, but you can't. You know, she's she's you, you only need cluster voters. And me as a young cluster person, cluster speaking person from the Eastern Cape, I was like, which cluster voters? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because and then you sort of like now, like now you hear like oh, you know, you sort of can't act against this other people, Malusi or Tabilo, whatever, because of all this apparent base they have. Is there any is there anything in the numbers that actually supports any of this stuff, or is it just like you know, like just like random? That's a good question. You know, are, are, are these things pronouncements being made by the elite, political elite, on behalf of the political elite? Do, does it speak to the rank and file? It's a good question. I, I don't know what the links are directly, and but you'd know as well as I do. Uh, Lucano, that when it comes to the party list, it's always a balancing act. You've got to have roughly equal numbers from each of the tripartite members. You've got to have members from the Women's League and the Youth League, and you've got to have a geographical mix. So, insofar, I guess, uh, maybe if I add the dots, tell me if I'm drawing the wrong picture. If the NEC or the decision-making bodies were to leave out too many people from one region, if it turned out that out of the 400, maybe only 10 or a, a small, a, an unrepresentative number of parliamentarians came from the free state. It might be that the um, the provincial heads of the party would feel alienated, um, maybe they wouldn't campaign for the party next time, maybe there'd be factions, maybe there, there'd be divisions. So my guess, and I guess it aligns to what you say, is that it's more about the people at the top making sure that they're inside the tent and don't feel like they want to break off and challenge power in any area or, or for, uh, within any con- constituency rather than that's the will of the people. But that could be the case for any party in South Africa. We don't have open party lists. We don't, as the public, get to say who we want and don't want, which I think we should. Mm-hmm. Great, guys. Well, let's leave it there. I just want to thank our guests, Paul and Lucani, for coming in and doing this. Um, you've been listening to another episode of uh, The Numbers Don't Lie, um, multimedia live production, just as we integrate a little more data journalism into what we're doing here at TESO Blackstar. Um, there's a lot more coming in, in the, the coming weeks. Um, I'd urge you to read the story that accompanies this podcast and have a look at the maps that show you a little more about the constituencies and where they are and how they are. And they are interactive. Yeah. Anyone who reads them online can and click and, and zoom in and, and find information on a particular ward. Yeah, fantastic. That's a good point. Um, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, I'm Scott Peter Smith, the uh, head of multimedia here at TSO Blackstar, and isn't, uh, we'll uh, talk next time. You've been listening to Final Take, a multimedia live production from the Tissot Blackstock Group, publishers of the Sunday Times, Business Day, and Financial Mail.